Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. I'm Rochelle. Thanks for joining us. Today we're speaking to Suzanne Hillcoat, who has the dream job of studying the dwarf minke whale. Now, the dwarf minke is a relatively unknown subspecies of whale whose only known aggregation occurs on Australia's Great Barrier Reef. So you may be wondering, how can this animal be both a whale, huge, and a dwarf, not very huge? Maybe they mean a dolphin, right? Well, look, I'm not a biologist, and that's obvious, (laughs) but they are whales, and they are small compared to their standard-sized minke cousins, but they're still pretty big because they can grow up to almost 8 metres or 26 feet and weigh up to a whopping 6 tonnes. Now, these not-so-little guys were only really discovered in August of 1981 when a local guy called Rob Predijon was out diving on the reef and he was approached by a whale he'd never, ever seen before. So he recorded in detail exactly what he saw and soon enough, scientists were able to verify that this was, in fact, a previously unknown form of minke whale. Now, one of the most incredible things about these dual little giants is that they actively seek out human contact. And this is something Suzanne knows all too well. She's doing her PhD with the Minky Whale Project at James Cook Uni. So she spent a lot of time in the water with them. Lucky duck. Suzanne, thank you for joining us. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks for having me. Tell us, do you remember the very first time you came face to face with a dwarf minky whale? Yeah, I definitely do. It's not something that you forget very easily. <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, the first time was in 2015, and I was a volunteer researcher during my master's degree. Mm. And I was working on a tourism boat as the minky expert, but at that point I hadn't even seen a minky in real life before, oh. so I was very keen to see one. They tend to keep their distance near the beginning of an encounter and sort of gradually approach you closer and closer as time goes on. Mm. So my first glimpse was just kind of a giant shadow in the distance, but it was still amazing. And the first time that one approached me closely to within a few meters or so, I held my breath. I couldn't breathe. I was just so excited. I had no idea what it was going to do. But they're so calm and gentle and careful about their movements when they're around you. It's like they know how small you are compared to them. And it's pretty difficult to explain the feeling of a seven meter long whale looking you straight in the eye but it's definitely one of the most incredible experiences I've had. So you just kind of watched you from afar and and creeped around a little bit? Yeah they kind of do these big lazy loops around the boats and around the swimmers in the water and every loop is a little bit closer and (laughs) a little bit closer to the point where they're passing you within a few meters and you're staring eye to eye with a whale. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) I was speaking to Mike Ball a while ago and he runs a dive boat company off the Great Barrier Reef, which is prime minke territory. And he told me that his longest interaction was 10 hours where this minke was just staying around the boat for that long. What's the longest or most memorable encounter you've had? Well, yeah, I've had a few several-hour encounters, up to seven or eight hours. The average encounter duration is about one to two hours, but I've had quite a few long ones. And... Those ones are really special because the longer they last, the more and more whales tend to show up and you start to see these really interesting behaviors. One of the most amazing experiences I've had was when the lunch bell rang on a boat and everyone got out of the water and went back into the boat. I stayed on the deck to observe and the whales that had been interacting with the swimmers started to spy hop. 
Can you explain what a spy hop is? Yeah, so that's when the whale goes completely vertical in the water and pokes their snout and eyes above the surface. <laughs> and it felt like they were going, where did my friends go? You know, it, <laughs> it really showed me that they're just as interested in us as we are in them. And I also had an unexpected encounter that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. um, it was a research expedition last year, but it was at the very end of the season, so it was getting pretty difficult to find any whales at the, mm -hmm. at the time. And at the end of the trip, we all decided we'd just do a fun dive together on a pinnacle. And for the time being, we completely forgot about the whales. Mm -hmm. So we finished the dive, and I was last in line waiting to get back onto the boat. So I just stuck my head underwater and had a look around. And at the very edge of my visibility, about 20 or 30 meters away, I saw a minky slowly swimming by. <laughs> and it was the first time that I'd actually seen one when I wasn't actively seeking one out. And I just couldn't stop laughing because it felt like even when we're not looking for one, they're still looking for us. <laughs> <laughs> Creeping around. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stop laughing. It just felt like a creepy minky just... <laughs> following us when we weren't looking for it. It was amazing. You mentioned spy hopping a second ago, and that's one of the behaviours that they're famous for. What are some of the other behaviours that you like to research? Well, breaching is definitely one of the most exciting behaviours to see, and that's when the whale propels almost its entire body out of the water and slaps back down onto the surface. <laughs> so those ones are really exciting to see, but you don't often see those close up. They usually happen off in the distance. Mm. But in the water, the most exciting thing for me is just when they approach really closely and visibly check you out. Mm. You feel like they're really interested in you. And once I was actually caught in the middle of a bubble blast, which was just so unexpected that I burst into a laughing fit in my snorkel and I couldn't stop. What's a bubble blast? Well, that's when a whale releases a big stream of bubbles from its blowholes. And this happened right below me. So I got <laughs> caught in the middle of this bubble storm and... I have no idea why it did this, but I couldn't stop laughing. It was hilarious. <laughs> it would have been like being in a spa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though I did have a five mil wetsuit on, so oh. <laughs> didn't really benefit from it, but it was hilarious. What about motorboating? I've heard that's a behavior that they do. What's that? <laughs> well, that's an unfortunately named it's behavior. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so that was named by a researcher who at the time wasn't aware of the social connotations <laughs> of that word. <laughs> That's when the whale swims along the surface of the water with its head out of the water and kind of makes a little bit of a wake, kind of like a speedboat. So it's kind of so like that, bow riding in a way, is it? Or like porpoising? Well, they're going pretty slowly at the time. Oh. It's, they have their eyes out of the water, so it's thought to be an investigatory behavior where they're looking at something above the surface. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just just so unfortunately cool. named. <laughs> <laughs> or fortunate, depends on how you look at it, really. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so there are also baleen whales, which means they're filter feeders like humpbacks and blue whales. But how are they different to other minkies and other whales in general? Well, the dwarf minky is still considered an undescribed subspecies of the ordinary minky. So the exact genetic differences between the two types haven't thoroughly been established yet. And that's a research question that our group's currently working to answer as well. Mm. Dwarf minkies are they're the second smallest baleen whale, so they're considerably smaller than most others. But mm. they make these massive migrations that are comparable in distance to the ones the other baleen whales make. So it's quite remarkable considering how much smaller they are than other baleen whales. Mm. 
yeah, to scale, like they're so much smaller and to go that long without food, it's pretty incredible. Well, yeah, absolutely. They get to a maximum of around seven metres in length. And for example, the humpback whales that are making a similar migration, they're up to 15 metres in length. Mm. And they're probably four or more times heavier than a minke. And minkies are making the same migration as they are. So it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So every year they aggregate on the Great Barrier Reef for a brief period. Do you have any idea why they do this? Well, yeah, we don't know for sure, but based on the observational studies that our research group has done over the years, we think that the Great Barrier Reef serves a social function for these whales. Mm. So we think that the adults are coming here to mate, and the juveniles and sub-adults are coming here to learn about courtship and mating behaviors. So we see a lot of behaviors that are associated with courtship, like belly presenting, where a whale will present its bright white belly to another whale. What does that look like? Generally, they're swimming along and they turn completely sideways and present their belly to another whale. They also do that occasionally to us in the water, which is pretty (laughs) hilarious because it feels like they're flirting with us. (laughs) I've always wanted to know what exactly they think about us, and that's probably something we'll never know. But it's quite funny that they do that. They creep in closer and closer and then flirt with us. I guess those are still the ones that are still learning. (laughs) (laughs) So they come up every year around the same time. You must have been able to come across a few individuals over the years. Yeah, definitely. So one of the biggest parts of our research is our photo identification study. So over the past 20 years, we've realized that each whale has a unique color pattern and we can use these patterns to identify each individual whale. Mm. So we have an ID catalog with hundreds of whales in it. And we found that about a quarter of those whales that we see um, each year are known to us from a previous year. So they're coming back repeatedly. And we actually have a few whales that we've seen for many years. One we've seen for almost every year for the past 13 years. So we have quite a few old friends. Wow. And so how, apart from the coloring, how do you identify them? Are their dorsal fins kind of specific to each individual animal? Well, for some species, they use the dorsal fin as recognition, and other species, they use the tail flukes. Mm. For dwarf minkies, they have these bright white shoulder blazes, Mm. and they have these really unique edges around the shoulder blazes. They kind of look like flecks of paint, Mm. and each whale has completely unique pattern and they remain stable over time they don't change so that's the area that we generally use unless a whale has a particularly noticeable or unique scar then Mm. we can use those to identify whales over time as well but they do fade Mm. so scars aren't always used it's usually the the bright white shoulder patch how would they get a scar well we often see scars on them that are probably from cookie cutter sharks So that's a really small shark that only gets to about 50 centimeters in length, and they live in the open ocean at really deep depths, below 100 meters or even more. So we know that these whales dive down deep, and they get bit by these cookie-cutter sharks. So they have these marks on them. Mm. Sometimes the calves, when they're really small, they have large shark bites on them, probably from a great white or a tiger shark or Mm. even from an orca or something like that. So that happens on calves quite a lot. We see lots Mm. of calves with scars that look like they've been from a big shark or an orca. 
So we know that they're in the Great Barrier Reef in June, July every year, but do you know what they get up to for the rest of the year? Well, not exactly. We know that they must be going somewhere else to feed because we've never seen them eat in the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. And we think this is probably happening in Antarctica, which would be a similar migration to humpbacks Mm. who mate and give birth in the tropics and feed in the polar regions. Mm. Our research group actually tagged 26 dwarf minkies with satellite tags a few Mm. years ago and found that almost all of them traveled south out of the Great Barrier Reef and along the east coast of Australia. The few tags that stayed on for a few weeks uh, saw those whales head down into the Southern Ocean, and the longest tag, which stayed on for about 90 days, saw that whale reach the sub-Antarctic. So they're definitely traveling a long way, and so something down there must be worth the trek. Must be the krill. Is that what they eat? Yep. So gut content analyses of stranded whales in the past have shown that they eat krill and small fish as well. Mm. So they'll definitely be um, going down into those polar regions looking for the food-rich waters. Mm. So how can visitors to the reef help you guys with your research? Well, our research group is called the Minky Whale Project, and a lot of the work that we do happens from the liveaboard dive vessels that have permits to swim with the whales. So these operators and their passengers also collect data for our group. The operators record details for every encounter they have, and the passengers can donate copies of the photos they take during their encounters. Mm. And these photos can help us ID each whale for our photo ID catalog, and they can also help us with a whole range of other studies that we do as well. How have they helped you guys with your research, these photos? Well, actually, some of the most exciting discoveries that we've made have come from donated photos. Mm. So one of the whales that the group tagged in 2013 was spotted again the following season in passenger donation photos. And this was a really great discovery because we wanted to see these tagged whales again the next year to see if they were coming back the very next year, Mm. to see if they were migrating all the way down to the Southern Ocean and coming back to the Great Barrier Reef. And turns out at least one of them did. And the uh, the tag deployment site was fully healed and this whale was acting normal and swimming with passengers. So it really helped us to, um, to feel good about our tagging study yeah. and realize that it was as minimally invasive as possible. And that's awesome that everyday people can get amongst it just while they're on their holidays having a good time. They can actually contribute to science and the understanding of these newly discovered animals. Absolutely. Like I said, some of our most exciting discoveries have happened because normal people want to help us out Mm. and they help us collect data, whether it's photos or information. So we always encourage anyone who sees a dwarf binky whale, whether it's on uh, an organized trip or not, to go visit our website Mm. where they can record the sighting and get in touch with us so we can get a copy of their photos. So you do all of your research on the Great Barrier Reef, which is famously rich in biodiversity. In fact, there are 1,500 species of fish, 300 species of hard corals, 4,000 mollusk species, and 400 types of sponge. And then there's the minkies as well. So apart from the minky whales, what other critters are your favourites? Well, like you said, there's so many amazing things happening in the Great Barrier Reef, so it's hard to just pick a few. Mm. I am a marine megafauna fan through and through, though, so big animals are some of my favorites, like sharks and rays, turtles and dolphins. But also bioluminescence is one of the coolest things that you can see as well. So for anyone who isn't familiar with that, it's when living organisms um, emit light, and it's a common occurrence in the oceans from algae and other microorganisms. And that's a really cool thing to see. 
actually one of the funnier discoveries I've made is that if you flush a marine toilet with the lights off, I kid you not, you can sometimes see bioluminescence in the toilet. (laughs) I made that discovery half asleep in the middle of the night once and thought I was going crazy. Very psychedelic. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I was going crazy in the middle of the night. (laughs) So is, is that bioluminescence just on the reef or is it just in general luck of the draw it will turn up when it wants to? Exactly. It can happen in any part of the ocean at any time. It just depends on what's in the ocean at that particular time. Mm. So what about scuba diving? Are there any particular areas of the reef that you recommend? Yeah, well, the aggregation of dwarf minkies happens in the ribbon reef sector. So I've done a lot of diving in that area. Mm. And it's a pretty spectacular location. And the pinnacles in particular are really incredible. So there are these giant coral columns that rise up out of the deep water. And the marine life and coral cover on them can be mind-blowing. So some dive boats have actually been known to discover new pinnacles and keep their locations top secret because they're so amazing. (laughs) Um, they also seem to be really great minky locations too so you can get some great diving at the pinnacles and minky spotting done in the same place sounds like heaven hey yep they're pretty great (laughs) well thank you so much for your time today suzanne it was awesome to speak with you and thank you for listening so if you would like to find out more about suzanne's work head to www.minkywhaleproject.org and of course for more wildlife news travels and photography visit pornographic.com see ya Wild Lives by Phonographic. Follow us on Omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Phonographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.